0: Would you turn with me to Malachi chapter three? Malachi chapter three. I'd like to read two verses there. I would like to read verses 13 and 14. This is God through Isaiah I'm sorry, through Malachi, speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's going to um, exhort them. This is what he's going to say. He's going to say, "Your words have been stout against me." saith the Lord. But you say, when have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, this is what God's responding, you spoke stout against me when you said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept our, this, his ordinance that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? In other words, We've obeyed God and what's in it for me? That's when you spoke against that. Now, I pray that this can get inside of us, inside of our thinking, because I believe it'll change many aspects of your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your relationship with your children, your relationships with your parents, your relationship with God. And too often... I find myself cutting deals with God. And you know what's funny is? I got nothing he wants. I don't got enough of what he wants. But I still cut deals with him. All right? And we think about all those hymns we sung. Can you imagine if when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Ghost came down there, and then he started his ministry, he said, what's in it for me? It's a pretty scary thing. Or before he went to the cross, he said, what's in it for me? Isn't that something? Okay. Well, Lord willing, would like to talk our natural inclinations because it's the way our minds work and it's been that way from the very beginning, so it's not unique to America, although I think in America, in our current culture, we've gone overboard with that type of mentality. What's in it for me? Okay, I want to go to the Apostle Peter. This was a time where he was engaged with, Jesus was engaged with a rich young ruler, and and, and the rich young ruler said, basically, I've kept all the commandments, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you one more. And he says, sell everything you got. And the rich young ruler went away sad. And he said, you know, it's hard for rich people to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Peter said. This is in Matthew nineteen twenty-seven. He says, Peter said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all and follow thee. What shall we have therefore? In other words, what's in it for me? Peter, 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 Peter. The only thing wrong with Peter is he said it instead of just thinking it. <laughs> That's the only difference between him and I, right? Well, sometimes I say it too. I just kind of mumble it so no one can hear it, okay? Well, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> in this particular account, there's a parallel passage in Mark. And there's a little bit more information the way Matthew recorded it in the question. But in Jesus' answer, there's a little bit more information in Mark. And I want to read that answer to Jesus, so I'm going to go there. This is in Mark chapter 10. It's the same account, just from Mark's perspective. You'll see in verse 28, it says, Peter said unto him, Lo, we have left all, and we followed thee. And that's exactly what we find in Matthew 19.27, except Mark left off the phrase, what's in it for me? But Jesus answers the question because embedded in that question was that thinking. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you that there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, and the Gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions golly, the Christianity would be so much easier of a sell if he didn't put those two words in there. With persecutions. That's a hard sell. Right? So he's saying, in this life, now, in this time, there's going to be some blessings with persecutions. What's in it for me? Persecutions. That's a hard sell, isn't it? You're giggling, right? Okay? And in the world to come eternal life. Oh, I've got to have a perspective a little bit beyond today, don't I? Okay, so with that being said, I want to challenge you, and I want to show you that it's just our normal default. Okay? It's, it's, it's the way we think. It's common to man. This is an account of a man named Jephthah in Judges 1130, and Jephthah is a remarkable fellow of Preached on him a couple times. But he was God's man. He was handpicked by God to lead Israel to conquer. And I believe, who was it this time? It was Ammon. The bad guys this time were Ammonites. And, and, And God said, Jephthah, I want you to lead Israel against the Ammonites. And Jephthah said, in his brashness, in his ignorance... He says, okay, Lord, if you give me a victory, the next one that comes through that door, I will offer up as a burnt offering. Y'all, that was a dumb oath. You know what? God already promised him the victory. It was like he just couldn't comprehend a situation in which God was going to do something for free. You've all heard the thing, there's no free lunch. You know what? Salvation is a free lunch. Amen? So, Jephthah cut this deal. You know, Jephthah wasn't the only one that thought way. There's a young lady named Hannah that felt the same way. This is in 1 Samuel 1, in verse 11. Hannah vowed a vow. And she said, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and will give me unto the handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of a life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. She's cutting a deal with God. And for the life of me, everybody thinks, oh, Hannah, this is such a great name. And we use that name in Christian circles, and she offers that prayer But I'd be pretty upset with my wife if she made a vow like that and didn't consult me on it. I wouldn't, right? Why did you vow a vow like that? Did you know God honors you without promising anything? And He blesses you without those promises? Okay, we've just got something that it's cutting a deal. How many times do you cut a deal with your parents? How many times do you cut a deal with? an employee or a customer it's just the way we think okay. and then finally Luke 15:29 this is the oldest prodigal son remember when we talk about that par- that uh, parable most people call it the parable of the prodigal son talking about the younger boy i call it the parable of the prodigal sons because both boys were off base dad had to come off the porch for both boys and this is what the second boy said He said, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and thou never gavest me a kid. In other words, I did all this obedience, and what's in it for me? My brother that didn't obey you is getting the same thing I did. What's in it for me? I deserve more. So, if I've convinced you that that's part of being in the lineage of Adam we all have that mentality it's our default and we cut deals with our spouses all the time don't we we cut deals with our siblings and we cut deals more times than we ought with God now I know this is kind of stepping on our toes right now just hang on because we're going to end up with grace okay this is where we're leading the practical to lead to the. I probably should go with the grace, so it makes it. No, I, I want to send on the happy note today. Okay, but 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 this is kind of this kind of tough stuff. All right. And Jacob, <laughs> he is the negotiator of negotiators. He's the king, the chief of negotiators. Okay, in Genesis twenty-five thirty and thirty-one, his brother Esau was really really hungry. Now, I pray to God with all five of my children, if one of their siblings come to him and say, I'm starving to death, they'll just give him the food and they won't cut a deal with him. They won't blackmail him. But not Jacob. He says, I'll give you something, but what's in it for me? I know. Give me your birthright and you can have the food. Just always looking for him. If, if, if I was Isaac and I knew about that, I'd just cuff him upside the head and say, give him the food how many times have i fed you over the years okay we're not done with jacob yet in genesis 28 remember he he's 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 uh, running now he's afraid for his life his he's he's got his brother so mad at him his brother's trying to kill him and he's he's running <clears throat> And then he falls asleep and he's camping out and he's got his head on a rock and he has this dream and he sees Jacob's ladder, the angels going up and down to heaven and he goes, wow, God was in this place and I knew it not. And this is his first prayer, the most godly prayer recorded in Scripture. It's recorded there in Genesis 28, 20 and 21 and basically says, God, if you'll be with me, if you feed me, if you clothe me, if you give me peace and you bring me home safe again, then you can be my God. What a deal for God, amen? Because he's got this mindset, what's in it for me? He says, okay, I'll follow you and be my God if you do all these things for me. And I've shared this with you. The wildest thing in the world is God said, okay. But he didn't say okay because Jacob offered the deal. He said, okay, because he planned on doing all those things before he offered that dumb vow. Amen? Okay. Genesis 31, 40 and 42. 41 and 42. Jacob cut a deal with Laban. He cut a deal, and he worked for him for 20 years. 14 years for two wives, and another six years for some livestock. And then he got upset. He says, Laban, you kept changing the deal on me. In other words, what's in it for me? He kept breaking your end of the deal. He was a barter. That's, 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 that's the way he operated. In Genesis 32, 17 through 18, it's time for Jacob to come home. And when he comes home, even though God, back up in chapter 28, says, I will bring you home in peace, God already promised it to him. He's coming home and he's thinking, Esau will never let me come home safe. So he gets this great big present in front of his procession. And he's got all these goats and these sheep and these cattle and these livestock. And and, and he's telling his servants that are way up in the front. When Esau and his soldiers come, they said, who's this stuff? He says, it's yours. It's a gift. So let me come home safely. He just couldn't understand it. It was just so embedded in his thinking. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you not to pick at late Jacob and look down my nose at him and say, how dare he do those things? Because we had to hold up the mirror, and we've got to realize, how often is that in our thinking? Genesis thirty-two twenty-five through 26, Jacob's wrestling with an angel, who I think is representative of God. And the angel says, let me go. And he says, I'll let you go if you bless me. Cutting the deal, Amen cutting a deal. He's just, he's always got this what's in it for me attitude. And then finally, even back up in Genesis 43 and they're out of money and they're trying to buy some food from his son Joseph, but he doesn't know it's his son Joseph. He's cutting a deal with him and bringing him presents and giving him double money. And he says, okay, here it is. Give me the food. And by the way, let my sons go free. Always cutting a deal. My friends, I'm afraid We've got an attitude in our country, in our culture, that's spilled over into our religion. I'm going to tell you a story. Back when I lived in Georgia, I've always, in the last 20 years, I've been involved in education in one way or another. And in the state of Georgia, they had uh, two writing assignments. They had to do it in 7th grade, and I think they had to do it in 11th grade. And they were very, very important. The reason why they did it in 11th grade is if the student failed, they had 12th grade to do it again because it was that critical that they could be able to write. So the place where I was working, <clears throat> the, uh, they, they gave some kids some, some tests and when they gave them these writing tests, it was all hands on deck. They even got the math teacher to grade some of these papers. Okay? So I'm reading these papers and the prompt happened to be Apply for a job, okay? Write, pretend like you're applying for a job. So I read, and I read dozens of letters, or letters of these, this, this writing assignment because the, the, the school, they wanted to grade them and turn them around and, and, and make the recommendations so they could turn around and, and, and take the real test and, and hopefully pass it. So here I am, this math teacher, writing, a, uh, grading this English paper, and I'm reading one after another. And as I read these papers, some of them were fantastic writers. Some of them really struggled. Some of them were horrible at a grammar. Some of them had it spot on, and some of them sat there and made me giggle like there was nothing else. But there was something common to every single one of those letters. You know what was common was? The perspective from which they wrote it. Oh, I want this job because I love this, this is my compassion. Oh, I want this job because this is the perfect stepping stone to the next step in my career. Not one person wrote that letter saying, This is what I can do for you. Does that sound familiar? An entire 11th grade thinking that way, and that was like 20 years ago. Pretty close. Maybe 15, 20 years ago. That was the attitude. What's in it for me? It's, just, it's, it's the way we think. Okay? All right. So this mindset, I believe, has paralyzed third world countries. It's impossible to get something to our Filipino brethren without bribing an immigration clerk at the docks. You can't do it, because it's what's in it for me. I think it can be found in nearly every religion. <sighs> Hold on to your seats. If you believe in grace and you explain grace to someone else, what's the first thing they say? Then I can live like the devil. right? You know what they're really saying? Okay, Jesus did that for me, and now you want me to obey when I've already got salvation? What's in it for me? Why should I continue to obey? Do you understand? You act like you've never heard that before, right? I don't think I've never not heard it. Amen? Okay. And you know what? It's one of Satan's most reliable tools. He used it in the very beginning in the garden. He used it later on with Jesus Christ. I I, I made the, 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 the statement earlier. Jesus was ready to start his ministry and he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and he was fasting. And Jesus didn't say, what's in it for me? He did it to glorify the Father. So what does Satan do? He says, Worship me, and I will give you. God's not going to give you. uh, Look what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus says, I'm not doing it for what's in it for me. I'm doing it because of the love of the Father, and the Father and I are one, and I want to be in him. Y'all, if we can start thinking like this, and understand what Christ really did for us it's going to change the way we pray it's going to change the way we serve, the motive of why we serve and you know what, I think it will probably even make me a better husband and change the way I interact with my wife and my children, okay? what's in it for me and you know what it's really close kin, kissing cousins with look what obedience got you Yes? Basically, that's what it is. All right. Let's get to the good stuff. You guys are too serious now. I want to see the nodding, and I want to see the wrinkled up foreheads to dissipate, and I want to see the corners of the, the smiles start ending up. Okay? Let me show you a couple things. Here's when some people finally got it. Okay? When, when someone was in this what's-in-it-for-me attitude, and I finally realized, Oh, I don't have anything God wants. I don't got, have anything that's of value of what God's given me. Abraham, he's a pretty holy guy. He's in Hebrews 11. He says, Abraham said, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. You know what? Abraham got it. He says, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. I've got nothing God wants. (laughs) And you know what? If you think I've got dust and ashes, if I think that way, I don't have a whole lot to offer this church. If I'm depending on me, I'm just dust and ashes. Genesis 32. We read that horrible prayer in Genesis 28. It only took Jacob 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. But look at the prayer in Genesis 32 versus the prayer in Genesis 28. He starts this one off, not God, if you feed me, if you clothe me, if you give me anything I want, then you can be my God. He starts off saying, I am not worthy of the least of thy mercies. Deliver me from my brother's hand. And you know what? He didn't offer him anything, any booty with it. He says, I am just flat out broke. I got nothing you want. Lord, please have mercy and deliver me from my brother. And I want to go like this to him. He just promised you that back in Genesis 28. Okay, but at least he didn't barter with him this time. Job 42, 5 and 6. It only took him 41 chapters to figure it out. Right? Right? But finally, we get near the end of that book, and this is what Job says. He says, I have heard and seen thee. He says, wherefore, I abhor myself. Okay, God, no more dealing with you. just going to fall at your mercy. I'm going to repent in dust and ashes. And then Luke 5 and 8. There's Peter. Now, Peter kept on going back and forth. Peter's like me. I might remember it, and a couple weeks later, I'll forget it. But this is a time where we remember, and he comes before him. I don't think that's Luke five. I think that should be fifteen. I think that's Luke fifteen eight. I got to go back and double check it. But Peter fell down at Jesus' knees and said, "Depart from me, I am a sinful man." No, I think chapter five is correct. Okay, he says, "Okay, Peter, now you got it. Now you got it. Now you can have your relationship with God. I mean, a spiritual relationship with God." All right, And then finally 1 Timothy 1.15 This is Paul speaking Jesus came into the world to save sinners Of whom I am chief We gave Jacob the title of chief negotiator Paul says my title is chief sinner God I got nothing you need I got nothing you want I've got nothing worth the value That it took of Jesus Christ to pay for my sin debt I am totally subject to you Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you this question What's in it for God? You know, the God in 1 John 4 that says, He loved us first. We love Him because He first loved us. God, why did you love us? What was in it for you? What's the answer? This is the Wednesday night answer. Nothing. N U T T I N apostrophe. Nothing. Nothing's in it. Right? John one twenty nine. John the Baptist was speaking. He says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read this when we went through 2 Corinthians recently Jesus who knew no sin was made to be sin for us and we were made righteousness in him and then Hebrews 9.26, now he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself it wasn't your money, it wasn't your good looks it wasn't your intellect, it wasn't your service you had nothing to offer up to God to get you your atonement your reconciliation Jesus paid that debt. What was in it for him? Nothing. What was in it for you? Everything. So what's our response? Do we obey to get a bigger jewel in heaven? I hope you laugh and shake your head no. silly, right? Why do we obey? We obey to say thank you. That's why we, to say thank you, not to get, to say thank you. We do not have the right stuff. Let me read a couple of verses here. Isaiah 64 and 6. We are all unclean and our righteousness are as filthy rags. Well, wait a second. I thought I had a pretty good week this week. Read my Bible every day, prayed every day. Helped a couple of saints out, right? Didn't cuss too badly. Didn't let things slip out of my mouth. Held it under my breath. I, I did pretty good. You know all that stuff. Filthy rags, compared to the blood of Jesus Christ. Now again, keep doing those things. But it's the motive that you're doing it. You're not doing it to get. You're doing it because you got. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, we could not be redeemed with something that's corruptible, silver and gold, but with Christ's precious blood. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14, we are not redeemed by the blood of goats or calves. Our redemption came by Jesus' own blood. We don't have what God needs. And even if we did, we don't have enough. Okay? And the good news is, is we cannot reconcile what Jesus already reconciled. It's called the finished work. Yes. Romans 5.8, God's love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son for our sins. And then Hebrews 1.3. And and, and I say this almost every time, See that little phrase up there, by himself? Most Bible versions take those two words out. Jesus, by himself, purged our sins. I think that by himself are pretty important words. Jesus, by himself, purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of majesty. He has reconciled us by himself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay? All right. Let's let's try to think of it a, a little bit different way. Okay. In this particular one, I would like to think that we can do good, right? We can obey God. We can please God. We can exercise faith. But my point in this is in an earthly sense, anything we can do, it's because God gave us the power to do it. We can't take credit for that. We did not pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. God picked us up by the bootstraps, threw us on his back and carried us out of the pit. Right? Right? First Chronicles twenty-nine fourteen. Who are we that we should be able to offer so willingly? For all things come of thee. Anything we have is because God gave it to us. John three, twenty-seven, a man can receive nothing except what were given him from heaven. First Corinthians four seven, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? If thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? God, you gave me something, and I'm going to use the thing you gave me to barter with you to get something else. That's really what we're doing. It sounds funny when we say it that way, right? But our crazy minds go that way. Somehow we put a holy spin on it. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from a God and cometh from the Father. And then finally, 1 Peter 4.10, as every man hath received the gift, minister, not barter, the same to others. Right? God's, (laughs) thank you for the laugh. God's given you a blessing. Use that blessing to bless others. Don't use that blessing to barter with your brother. Okay, this is what I need, because what's in it for me? Nothing. What he's given you, give to others. That's one of the greatest things about the gospel. You can share it. It doesn't cost you anything. Well, it might cost you anything if you live in certain countries. Well, You can share that for free. Right? Okay, that's earthly grace and mercy. Let's look at some spiritual grace and mercy. Okay? Now, these are parables. But in Matthew 18, there was a man that owed 10,000 talents, and he had nothing to pay. Y'all, you have a mess of sins and you've got nothing to pay. So the man in this particular parable in Matthew 18, what did he go to the Lord? He said, his Lord, little l, and he said, Lord, little l, Lord, my master, my my, my lender, I owe you 10,000 talents. Have mercy on me. He says, I'll pay you back. You know what? That was a lie. He could never pay him back. I'll pay you back. No, you can't. The Lord, little l, just said, forget it. But that's a parallel what God's done for us, right? God, I will earn my way into heaven. Really? No, you won't. Because once you pay for this sin, you've just committed 10 more in the process of doing that, and you're even further behind. Luke 15, 17 through 19, this is the younger prodigal. It says, he came to himself, and he said, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. I find it interesting. I love that phrase, he came to himself. Okay? He came to his spiritual self. And he says, I'm not worth. I've got nothing to trade you. I've got nothing to barter with you. Romans 9, 14 and 15. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It's God's mercy, nothing he earned. 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. What's in it for God? Nothing. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's why we call it amazing grace. He did it just because he loved. <sighs> what if I can start loving my wife like that? What if she can start loving me like that? What a marriage we'd have. Amen? No, I'm not holding us up or below anybody else. It's anybody that's married, anybody that has a friendship, anyone that has a sibling. That's the same principle applies. Right? And then finally, Titus 3, 3-5, through 5, Not by our works, of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I love that. It's nothing you do, it's nothing you promise, it's nothing you pay. How? His love, his mercy, and his grace. That's how it happens. Okay, this is it. Coming down the home stretch. Imagine a world without what's in it for me. I don't know if I can. I think of Louis Armstrong singing that song with that scratchy voice. Clouds of blue, red roses too, right? Well imagine a world without what's in it for me. Imagine a nation without pork barrel politics. Y'all know what pork barrel politics is? That's when something needs to be done, but you don't, won't pass it, you won't give it a yes vote unless you slip something in the legislation that's for me, right? Can you imagine a government that operated without pork barrel politics? Pretty amazing, isn't it? Genesis 14, 13-24, through 24, this is a summary. <clears throat> but if you remember that particular case, Abraham And his nephew Lot had parted ways. And Abraham took the high country and the rocks, and Lot went to the low country, and he ended up in the city of Sodom. And Sodom was engulfed, engulfed Lot in his thinking, and his daughters, and his sons in laws And they started acting and behaving and thinking like them. And then some bad guys came and took everything of Sodom. Abraham heard about it, and he got some soldiers. I can't remember how many soldiers. I think it was about 600 soldiers, and they went, and they conquered the bad guys, and they brought everything back, and the king of Sodom went to Abraham and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and he says, let the people go, and he says, all the livestock and all the the stuff that you brought, you could have it. You know what Abraham said? He says, I don't even want a shoelatchet. it. Along the way, my soldiers ate a little bit. He says, we'll take that little bit of food to sustain them during the battle. But he says, I don't want anything from you. Abraham, you're starting to get it a little bit. Right? Do it for love, not what's in it for me. Luke six thirty two through 35. Here, I'm going to summarize this one, but basically it says, sinners love them which love you, do good to them which do good to you. In other words, that what's in it for me is the default for all mankind. Yeah, I'll do something nice for you if you do something nice for me. That's not grace. Ah, oh, here it is and lend to them whom you hope to receive. But Jesus taught, hoping nothing in return. Ooh, boy, imagine a world like that. That's what he was teaching, not what's in it for me. What can I do to help them? Romans 6.15, here's the people that sin because they think grace is already secure. I can't lose my salvation, so what do I need to obey anymore? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And the answer to that in a rhetorical sense, Paul said, God forbid. You can't live like the devil. You obey, not to get because you got and you obey to say thank you. James 1, 27. I love this phrase, pure religion. Not religion, not like Bill Gates that when he donates some money he gets a great big four foot by six foot check holds it and has all the cameras out there taking pictures of him, seeing how great I am he says pure religion and undefiled before God is this visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction why the fatherless and widows because they will never be able to pay you back that's pure religion right and keep himself unspotted from the world. Why? To say thank you. That's it. So, how are your toes doing. Okay? Right? I hope this message was one of encouragement. I hope you got an appreciation for the love. When God looked down and saw sinful people and he sent his son, he didn't say, what's in it for me? He said, here's a poor people, this is what they need. And when Jesus went to the cross, he did not look down and says, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to raise again. And when I'm done raising again, what am I going to get? He said, no, these are God's children. They need redemption. They need atonement they don't have the money to pay. I'll pay that in a substitutionary way and I'll push them aside and I'll go to the cross for them. I hope it gives you appreciation for the salvation that you do have. But then, what does that mean in our lives? I hope as we start interacting with God, we start really evaluating our motives. It starts with a recognition. Why am I doing this? It's funny, I can do the right thing for my wife in the wrong motive, and it doesn't make me any score, me any points. Got it. But then, if I'm looking to score points, she can see right through that. We've been married for a couple decades. She knows all those things, those hidden motives. But what happens when you do something just to do it because you love her? What a difference. Well, you know what? If I, my wife can see through me, just think how much more God can see through you. Amen? Now, she's got pretty close to perfect understanding. She might have an 85, 90% batting average, but God's batting average is 100%. Amen? Okay, so what's in it for you? Well, what's in it for me is I get to say thank you to the Lord. And I get to share those thank yous with my, the little eyeballs that are looking up on me. That should be enough. I hope it is. Unfortunately, I slip and I fall. So if I can see brethren that are acting that way, maybe that'll be a good reminder to get me back on track too. That's what a church is for, to remind each other of these great things. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.